0: Are you hitting it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to the rugby rant. I'm the big guy and with me is Rob the Hammer Hammer Schmidt. And we're here to wish you a happy new year and be right out. I'm just kidding, folks. Um, With the new year, we have a brand new episode of Run, Pass, or Kick. Everybody's really excited for it. Um, You can see who it is right on the screen right now. But before we introduce them, I just want to talk about our friends at the rugby shop. Besides having all the MLR merch you could ever want, they helped us come out with a new murdered-out line of rugby rat swag. We're talking hats. There we go. We're talking hoodies, we're talking t-shirts, including the new hammer tee. The hammer actually has his own exclusive t-shirt with happiness is a good ruck on the front and old school rake marks on the back. So please go to the rugby shop.com and find the rugby rant under clubs. Use the code rugby rant20 for 20% off all of your rugby rant merchandise through January. Again, use the code rugby rant20 to get 20% off all of your rugby rant merchandise through January. So as as people can already see. We have a really good guest today on the RPK. I'm 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 super (laughs) excited. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Rob's been teeing teeing this up for a while now in, in our personal chat. Um, So we actually have uh, the Eagle legend, Dan Lyle. So real quick, I'm just going to go over Dan's uh, stuff before I introduce him. Obviously, he's a football player from VMI. He had seven seasons at Bath, which included a Heineken Cup title, uh, playing with Leicester, USA Eagle number 237 uh, with 45 caps. And then he corrected us when I asked him because Rob doesn't actually – Rob does a, a decent job, but sometimes he screws up three caps with the Babas. Dan, welcome to the Rugby Red.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Love your guys' show.
0: We're we're I mean, we're beyond ecstatic. I mean, my heart's pounding right now. Dan's one of my favorite Eagles of all time, Um, so it's it's amazing to have him on the show. So, for those of you that don't know how the run passer kicks uh, kick uh, interviews work, I'm going to throw it over to Rob the Hammer Hammer Schmidt to tell you how it goes.
2: Thanks, Scott. And uh, again, I want to reiterate, uh, Dan Lyle is one of the guys that I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed watching when I started playing rugby. I am absolutely thrilled that he's joined us and and graced us with his presence. So thank you, Dan, so very much for joining us. Run, pass, or kick for the uninitiated works like this. We're going to prompt each question to Dan with run, pass, or kick. Uh, Dan has three options. He can tell us he's going to run with the question, which means he's going to take it straight away. And much like the fashion he did during a lot of those games in the Prem, uh, Heineken Cup games, um, or he can uh, pass a question. And that's to say, you know, he's he's not going to answer because it's a hot topic. And perhaps he doesn't want to get himself into a little bit of trouble. Or he can have a bit of fun with us by kicking a question. That means he's going to kick it back to us, one of us, maybe the person that asked the question, or he can identify Uh, either Scott or myself uh, to answer to said, we're going to do the best job we can in that case to answer for him. And he can give us a grade. He can tell us that we're shite. He can tell us that we did a great job. He can follow up a little bit to give viewers out there just a little bit more insight into how he would have answered the question. So Dan, are you ready for the run pass or kick challenge?
1: Yeah, let's fire it away. Let's go.
2: All right. Um, I I love this question, and I I have somebody to thank, but I don't want to ruin it. Uh, I'll mention his name later. Um, In August of 2002, you played in a Rugby World Cup qualifier for, of course, the 2003 Rugby World Cup against Uruguay and Montevideo, um, which, from what I understand, was a shade better than a Mexican prison. Um, Legend has it that you were all set for a lineout, and that when the ball was thrown in, you got battered and bloody with elbows. You were on the ground. Your face is all, all, all mashed, and guys are kicking you um, while you're on the ground. You proceeded to get up and say, you can keep coming after me all you want. I'm not going anywhere. Is there any truth to this? Run, pass, or kick?
1: Uh, I'll run. Uh, no, there's no truth to that. There's no, no truth. truth. To, to, to be, we lost that game and we had to go play Spain uh, kind of in a reprojage that first run and it's funny because th- that 2002 um, you know preceded a 2003 year that we did exceptionally well in right and so to think that we lost you know against Uruguay you know the what what i remember about that game was that it was a, a it was the the, si- the the pitch was the size of a stamp <laughs> it was tiny <laughs> It might, have been, it might have been 50 yards wide. You know, they really tried to contain us. They really did physically beat us up and so forth. But uh, it was actually the the earlier game on that tour against Argentina where um, I uh, I got hit, you know, by, uh, by a player coming out from a line out. And um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, was at, at, back in London or back in Bath. And in the front of the, front of the London uh, Times was me. I had I had uh, forty-seven stitches and broke my eye socket, my nose, and everything with a with a punch because I was on the ground from a line out and get driven forward and so forth. So look, it's it's tough to play down, in, uh, you know, in, in in South America, and uh, we know that those teams are are super competitive. So you got to be ready uh, and have your guard up. But uh, I'm sure David Fee asked that question. But,
2: uh. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like David Fee needs a uh, you know I don't know get his old man brain checked or something like that. Maybe he had one too many concussions when he was out there on the wing.
1: He's he's about, he's about as good as the, you know, the 10, 10 guys in front of him, you know,
0: so. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's he's great. watching, so he'll appreciate that. <laughs> that. That's amazing. And you know, if, if the team can't beat you, with finesse, they're, they're gonna just power you all day. I mean that that's that's how we that's how they roll. Um, but speaking of rugby world cup twenty uh, two thousand three, that team um, probably it definitely had the best result uh, in a World Cup, uh, with a one and three record beating Japan and then quality matches in the other pool matches. So run pass or kick, I know you might be a little biased, but what was the most talented Eagles team to play in the World Cup? Well, um you
1: know, I, I look at rugby in two different pies. I look at it as a, a kind of a, a physical matrix pie. Are you, can you run as fast, jump as high as the players you're playing against, right? But I, and then the rugby pie, right? Which is, can you pull the tools out, kicking ability, you know, the, the all the different capabilities that you need as a rugby person. And, and, and by and large, uh, American rugby, um, men and women, you know, um, has been deficient in one or both of those pies. Right. So, uh, I, I've, I've seen a lot of the players in the past pre, you know, predating me that were, there were some really athletically gifted, uh, players, you know, there, we probably had the best balance of athletes and rugby at the time, you know, um, and that doesn't necessarily make the best team ever, you know, and, and so forth, but we had a really good balance of the two things. Um, and so, we had it. We had a good record. It takes a while to get to that, right? Because you got to play your way into that. Particularly if you've got players that don't, you know, the rugby pie. You got You're you eking up on the rugby pie, right? And and everybody improves on the on the athletic metrics, you know. So probably that's the best way of explaining. It.
0: Yeah. So I don't no, know if I, I
1: passed, ran, or kicked on that one. But I, you know,
0: it's just answer it's the fine. No, but and it makes total sense. And sometimes just because you're the most talented team doesn't mean you play together as the team the best either. So. You know, it's kind of a loaded question that Rob decided. Yeah, we all. On. Yeah. How many how many gamers have
1: we have we played with guys that we know that couldn't get that from A to B as quick as the next guy, but just you wanted to be on field in the field with that person, and whether it was just their tenacity, their grit, their just sheer you know whatever it may be, you know, we all you know you take a lot of gamers ahead of a lot of athletes at time. Now, if you're a gamer and an athlete, man, you know you know I'm you're special. That's that's, that's pretty special. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, um, and and talk about a guy that's a gamer. Uh, th- that's you, right? I and 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 I'm sure you worked your ass off of practice, uh, but nobody in the American rugby playing public really got to see that uh, because you, quite frankly, were a trailblazer for aspiring American players that wanted to play professional rugby. You were one of the first Americans to play professional rugby uh, in Europe, which was the place to play. Uh, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, run pass or kick. How are you received by the boys at Bath uh, and opponents upon your arrival in England?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, I'll run with it. Um, the, the, the overall conversation is that um, because I played division one football uh, and had played even high school football in, you know, in high in Texas and Georgia, you know, where I, you know, and I went to, I went to three different high schools. I went to actually high school in Kentucky as well. So I was a military brat. So, but te- playing Texas and Georgia football as a high school, that's, you know, you're, you're lifting weights and you're studying film. You're doing all those things, obviously in college, you're doing those things. And then my experiences with the Redskins and then the Vikings training with them and doing all that stuff. I was a professional. Those guys weren't right. They were just becoming it. So they, I had all of that, you know. I knew how to lift. I was physically gifted, you know, in a lot of ways. So I had to, I had to pick up the nuances of rugby. So that counterbalanced my ability to kind of enter the space, maybe, you know, on par a little bit, you know, more than maybe today's space would have been, um, because there's so much more athletic and so much more gifted today, you know, as far as that because they're they're training earlier and all that. So I think that, and 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 to be fair. Bath is a rugby town that I was really lucky to, I mean, soccer, mad, you know, all over the place, but Bath is rugby. Right. And so if you played well, whether it be the players, it was a very peer driven meritocracy, you know, um, coaches gave craft. And we had some great coaches, Jack Rowe, Brian Ashton, Clive Woodward, Andy Robinson, some great coaches, but they really, um, allow the players to dictate and the fans and the, and the players really accepted it because I showed up and, and I, I had that chip on my shoulder knowing that if I wasn't better than all the guys next to me, not one or two, but all of them, then I was not going to be on the field. And um, so balance it out, but they were, to be fair, um, once you, if you played well
0: at Bath, you know, you, you were accepted. If you didn't, you know, that was something else, right? So. Well, you know, and that that goes to the talent versus, you know, how well you play some, that gamer versus, you know, and, and having that balance. Um, but you were talking about your football career, and this leads me into my next question. Um, you know, this this last week, Clemson player James uh, Skolaski was removed from the Sugar Bowl game for a targeting call against Ohio State's Josh, uh, Josh Fields. You had quite a bit to say on the matter. I had quite a bit to say on the matter on social media. I follow you. I'm sure you don't follow me. So that's cool. Um, but run, pass or kick as rugby advocates. Are we sometimes barking up the wrong tree when talking to football coaches about rugby tackling? Yeah, um, uh, run with it. It's a great topic. It's a great topic. First,
1: I think that every rugby person should look to football as a complimentary conversation, right? It's not a us versus them. It's got to be, you know, not just from the tackle perspective, the, the athlete perspective. What what offensive line coach wouldn't want his offensive line opening up their stride and getting more proprioceptive, you know, in the offseason and making tackles for special teams? What, you know, what what, you know, uh, linebacker coach wouldn't want his player to be more agile, breaking down, closing in? I just think that the fundamentals of what well, I coach youth rugby, I don't coach anything else. Right. I coach my kids. I coach other kids and so forth, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of clinics when I was at Bath, just kind of at that level, and I'm nowhere near an expert in anything at that level, but I do know the fundamentals of tackling, and to me, I get people in threes every single practice so that they can just kind of bounce off each other and step between the legs, step in the hole, whatever you want to call it, shoulder, get that means get your head out of the way, and wrap, wrap step, shoulder, wrap. He was not coming in with the step shoulder wrap structure, right? He was coming in and a down and distance, stopping the player in a projectile, diving into the pool off the blocks momentum. That is the reality that that's what happened, right? And everyone talks about spinning and all that kind of stuff. He wouldn't have been able to move with him. He was on one line and one line only, right? He was not. He didn't have a breakdown, gather your feet, then explode through the tackle. And that that to me, is a fundamental of both football and rugby, or it should be of both, right? Getting the head out of the tackle is really what we're talking about. And ju- just to, I know it's a belaboring point, but it's a, it's a topic that we don't talk about too much in rugby because it's football terminology. When you're talking about leverage and containment in football, you're talking about Outside shoulders and and keeping people uh, you know in zones and so forth, which which predetermines sometimes where which shoulder you're going to hit with, which puts your head in the wrong place, right? So that's where I was trying to kind of cre- create a connective dialogue because every football clinic you go to has a rugby tackle dialogue, but where they don't take it to and where it gets confusing is that they've got all these systems in place for football, right? We know how specialized it is. And rugby is a pattern system of up and out or up and in, you know, and it's and pointing. You got a man type of thing. It's not. It's mostly you know man to zone, man to zone, right? They've got fifty different things going on, and which complicates and confuses the matter and doesn't allow them to to create a pure tackle structure, and so. You could tell I'm passionate about it because I think that American football we, we could accelerate our curve in foot in rugby, but and they and, and football could really help themselves in the long term if there was a little bit more collaboration at, at a good level. So.
0: I, I think you're right. And just and one of the points I had for because a lot of the guys speaking to on the rugby side kept I feel using that rugby eye when looking at the tackle, but you also have to realize too, it's it's we're talking about division one football. We're talking about the college playoff game and Justin Fields is trying to get a first down and the linebackers trying to stop him from doing so. Whereas in rugby, you know, he could have taken a, a better line, maybe came over to the side and roll them, but you know what, Justin Fields might've gotten that first down. And what does that do for the momentum of the game and things like that? And I think sometimes a lot of rugby first fans forget, you know, football is also a game of distance, you know, and, Sometimes that, that's. I, I, what I, would add, I would add one
1: thing that the, the uh, James Skalski or skaliski I, I'm going to butcher his last name, but the linebacker in question, he tweeted afterwards that he got it wrong, that he has to do better. These are his quotes, right? Not anybody else's quotes. That's him. saying so he knew, you know, that, that he had gotten it wrong. He had put himself in the wrong position. He put his team in the wrong position. So, you know, Take the guy that, that's looking at it. So you got to give a little bit of credit to that as well. And, and football is trying to get better, just like rugby is trying to get better. And and we have to have this open dialogue all the time. That's why I post it, because I usually don't post things like this. I usually don't post too many like, controversial things because of just trying to be positive force in the, in the game. But um, I just thought this was a teaching moment and a learning moment for me and for others, you know, so.
2: Yeah, Dan, I think that's a great point. And and as you say, I like to think about football and rugby as complementary. And and the more we can do that, I think the more we can grow rugby as a game here in the United States. Um, And that leads to the next question, actually, because you really talk about that idea of a crossover. Uh, Glendale um, over there in Colorado recently held a crossover athlete program. I believe this was in September, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Or was it November? One of the two. Uh, I think uh, it was November. November, sorry, 21st and 23rd. Um, uh, So, my question is this Run, pass, or kick. How should athletes that show promise be further developed out of that crossover program?
1: Yeah, when I first came back from England, you know, I wrote the first high performance grant when, when World Rugby started giving money post the 2003 World Cup for high performance. And I actually wrote a plan that was based upon taking what we had within the rugby system in America. And combining it with crossover athletes, right? You know, because uh, I stole this from uh, Jack Clark back when he did, in his day when he was doing this, but he, and this, it's a high performance, um, um, an acronym, but ICD, right? So the identification of athletes is not very hard in America. You go to a mall and find some pretty good athletes, right? You know, it's the the commitment phase, the C part and and the development phase, the D part that's hard, right? You know, how do I... How do I bring them together? How do I, you know, you don't take one sailor and get one Navy SEAL, right? You got to pre-qualify these people, then you got to put them through a thing, then you got to train them, and then they got to go to work, and then they drop out, you know, or they excel, right? There's a there's a whole process, and it's an attrition dialogue, right? So you have to do this. You have to think of the same way at, of that as crossover athletes. You got to find environments, and so Glendale. Uh, and Luke, you know, I went to one of those camps, and they definitely passed the the get-off-the-bus test, right? They were, there was some big, (laughs) you know, they were, they, you know, more than most rugby teams, right? You know, more, more than most MLR teams, even, right? They were, there were some real guys, and they were moving, right? But it's a matter of how many of those can cross over, and so their approach of kind of a, it was the approach that I had kind of, that I tripped into, where, I got cut by the Redskins or I didn't make the kind of the, the team. My cousin was playing for Washington Rugby Club. I started playing with them, you know, realized that I needed a little bit higher level, went to Aspen for the summer and then ended up in on back. You know, the commodity back then was sunshine versus money, right? <laughs> so you're, you know, you're just go across and maybe skirts was also part of it too, you know. Um, but don't tell your wife you, that you've gotta find environments um, you know, where you can you can layer in that rugby pie right you know and and continue their athletic pedigree because if you're if if th- this guy is or or and this woman because you've got Nia Topper and Alev Kelter and Christy Kirsch and and those folks on that's it it's a universal uh, co- conversation men and women 7s and 15s i've always thought that why wouldn't every person that's interested on a fantasy mlr level or let alone the coaches why wouldn't we know what the the five teams above us in the national rank world rankings and the five teams below us, what their metric pie looked like. What does a loose head women's prop look like for New Zealand, right? Metrically and rugby, right? And then all of us know it there. This is the average weight. This is the average bench. This is the average, you know, amount of, of, of competitions they've had this, all that kind of, stuff. I think that that's, that's, that to me is a true high performance audit where, You've got that data, men's and women, sevens and fifteen, and it's shareable, right? So you, if you've got an athlete coming through your high school or your college or a crossover, and someone asks you, it's 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 a it's not a fungible dialogue of we have to create these combines. Which, by the way, I think the combines are also a wonderful way to take a next step. But look, I'm I'm without boiling the ocean on that question. You know, there there's a systematic way of doing it. You've got to create a progression you know, and, and then allow that person to develop. But there's also going to be some
0: attrition as well as part of that. Yeah, Definitely. And, you know, that's yeah. – and and if you guys – if you fans want to hear more about that, we're actually going to talk about that next Sunday on our next episode of The Rant. So stay tuned for Sunday, and, and you can hear me and Rob's opinion on uh, Glendale and their crossover athlete program. Um, so I'm going to talk about your football career again. Obviously, uh, I'm a football guy, you know, by birth. I coach youth football still. I love it. Um, so after a successful career in college at VMI, um, Minnesota Vikings, I mean, trying out for the Redskins, you know, I mean, let's be honest, you you're doing that more than any, you know, you've hit a level then that most guys won't hit in their football career. Run pass or kick using your football knowledge. Who is winning the Super Bowl this February?
1: Mm. Well, you your your even money is on the Chiefs to repeat. Uh, just because of the balance of that team, you know, on offense and defense, and just the the sheer playmaking ability of Patrick Mahomes, I, I, I think that you know, uh, I, I I look at the quarterback. It's a it's still a passing league, even though there, you've got Derrick Henry this year that that ran for two thousand yards, and you don't see that very often, right? So I think I think that there's kind of some some make good, you know, but. Um, The ability to have escapability, but also to have progression, you know, as a quarterback, because it's a it's a it's a quarterback league. It's basically if you're if you're able to keep that person out of pressure and, you know, and and have some maneuverability and keep and and try to and then you can have you can win the clock. I think that they're probably there. But I think that, you know, do I like do I like, you know, the the you know, the, the, the long shot of the bills conversation, you know, do I, you know, do, are there You know, half a dozen other teams that I wouldn't mind seeing? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some cool stories, you know, um, that are coming through. So yeah, it's a, it's a sport I love to talk about. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. My kids haven't played yet. Right. So they, so my oldest boys are just turned 12 yesterday, actually. And so they entered sixth grade. So they were going to start flag football this year. Right. And and we always said you know, with my wife, it was kind of like start with flag football in middle school and then progress in there. I didn't play till I was in ninth or tenth grade, right? So I didn't play till later. So that stuff. But they know more about football than any other sport.
0: When they're with their friends. That's all they play, right? You know, so and, and, you, know, you know, they have they have that esports mentality of playing men. You know, I don't I don't know yeah. if your kids play video games, but the average kid in America plays video games every year. New Madden comes out every year they play. it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're playing Madden.
1: Uh, luckily they, they're playing rugby 2020, you know, and, and, uh, or rugby four and things like that. <laughs> luckily. So, and they're getting their friends to do it and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, um, but yeah, my kids are multi, they're, they're, all I can say to kid for kids and, and all that kind of stuff. If, if it's a segue is, you know, get playing play as many sports as possible you know, let's not let's not turn rugby into a single season sport. You know, God forbid, right? In our country, season seasonality is is the
0: key to the thing, and let's figure that out. You know, together. So, and and you know what, rugby might not be the sport from you. You might be a swimmer. That's okay. Do what you like. Do what you love. Absolutely.
2: And um, now let's go back to to rugby. Uh, we talked a little bit about football, but but I think a lot of the fans out there really want to get more from you on rugby. Um, so that's the fundamental basis for my next question: um, run pass or kick? What is the number one thing USA Rugby community as a whole, be it grassroots clubs, MLR, or the uh, the USAR? Uh, what do they need to focus on in order to grow the next generation of eagles? So number one thing they need to focus on the community as a whole. To grow the next generation of eagles, run passer kick.
1: That's a good question. I, I think that um, I think we need to create the simplicity of what uh, the jobs are of these organizations, and not try to overcomplicate them. And what I mean by that is the basic job of the national governing body is to to grow the numbers, get more people playing the game. And put competitive teams, national teams, on the on the pitch. That's what they're supposed to do, right? So there's a there's a standards conversation in there too, right? There's a you got to be improving, so forth. But it's all about recruit and retention at, at at level. And I don't know if if a single body in Lafayette or Glendale, Colorado, can create a a whole boom, you know, uh, you know, a uh, uh, big bang of uh, uh, for. Growth. I think that the the SBOs, the youth and high school side of things, you know, they, they've got they've got to almost be small businesses in themselves and not operate as a just a non for profit. You know, we're all volunteers and we have a one AGM a year type of conversation. They got to they got to really dig into the. You know what? What in my area, my city, my state? What the the YMCA's, the JCC's, the CYOs, the boys and girls? What is, what ticks in my area, and how do I penetrate that? How do I get on the moms and dads and athletic directors and parks and recs radars? I think that that's probably because the the volume will push through to improve the national teams, and and the missing ingredient for so long is that we didn't have a professional league, right? You know, where we could then, which MLR has now positioned us where we have the missing pieces, right? But we have to adopt the American sports complex, which is, you know, after-school programs, scholastic, collegiate, pro, you know, and, and we've got it. We, and then the other part of that is entrepreneurs and 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 sports professionals that get into the game, right? You know, I wrote a paper when I worked for John Pozemek and I in World Sports for, for a while calling John the rugby's first Lamar Hunt. Right. Because it was like, you know, you need. And and so now some of these MLR guys are taking the mantle. You know, some of the other ones, you know, companies like AEG are stepping into it. And, and there's a lot of people that are playing around the edges right now. But you've got to create a system and a calendar that makes sense to the average American, you know, and, and make it part of the system and really drill it in at the local level. Because it can't just be a there's every, everyone's pointing to Boulder or or there and saying they got to fix this and it was like you got to point to your your own sbo your own collegiate reps your own adult reps and say hey guys we got to get better at this we got to be more and i'm not saying run sport like a pure business right because there's fragility and athleticism and duty of care and sport you know that is you don't have as much in in you know, in in other businesses, but you certainly I think we need to decentralize it. When when you talk to a European or somebody from abroad, you're like rugby. Growing rugby in America is like growing rugby from Ireland to Istanbul. Right? It's yeah. it's big. There's a lot of stuff. And There's pockets everywhere. Lots of different languages. Lots of people talking all kinds of stuff. Right? So you got to get their your own vernacular, your own stuff going.
0: Absolutely, and and for me, I think just a little bit part of it is taking what we know back to football. How do, how do we get the younger kids involved in football? Like you were talking about flag football, you know, we should be going, there should be youth rugby uh, flag, rugby leagues everywhere, you know, and that's a start. And then those kids will want to play in high school. Well, now we, how do you get a team in high school? And you have those guys playing club and those adults coming back down and say, okay, let's get a high school team. And I think that's really the way you build it is if you get the interest in the kids, then the administrators will see, Oh, we have enough interest to do this. So I think that's one of the keys. Um, but you you talked about your um, you know your role with uh, AEG. Um, obviously, you have a role with the USA Sevens tournament. You have an extensive experience in organization and promotion of major rugby events. So, run, pass, or kick. What are the lessons that USA Rugby community can learn from the 2018 uh, Sevens World Cup? Um, that you've got to create a, a competitive
1: dialogue um, before you award, I mean, that was basics, you know, of that one, you know, that people wanted it so much, you wanted to award it so much, people wanted to do it so much, you know, and, and uh, that, you know, some of the fundamentals of, okay, well, we're coming there and you lose all your leverage with every hotel and every, everything you now got to pay for with the stadium, with all that kind of stuff. You know, we 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 have to have a three to five year rolling calendar, it, it, you know, and we we have to be able to 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 have stadiums, cities, and others compete for our content, and and we also then have to be that 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 allows us also to have broadcasters and sponsors know what we're going to do, so we can give an offering to them, and then in those cities and in those regions tie in the whole pyramid, right? I mean, these these events are are and. And some of the events are complementary to the MLR and some of the collegiate community because they're either same venues or same structures, you know, but not having a here's here's a great um, stat for everybody. It's more of a kind of a, a dialogue in 2018 when we had arguably maybe maybe 2003, maybe 2018 was our best year ever as men's Eagles. Right. You know, when we beat Scotland in Houston. We did, not, we did not know when our next fixture was or where it was or where it was going to be. We only knew the, the 2019 World Cup conversation, right? We didn't know who we were going to play when, right? So that's part world rugby. That's part USA rugby. You know, that's part kind of now these councils and everybody saying, well, what's the calendar that we need to participate in? Because companies like ours – we 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 can help exploit content, and we can help build content, right? But people have got to be, you know, w- willing and able and wanting to do that. Um, and so, there's a lot of mechanisms there that 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 a, a group like AEG can bring to the table to support that. But, you know, um, that's the biggest missing ingredient for I think for American rugby is the ca- is the lack of a calendar.
0: And and we've talked about that. I mean, David Fee talked about that. Uh, Cunmore talked about that. I mean, I could probably go go. another fifteen guests we had on the show that all said the same thing: is we haven't figured out a calendar. We need to figure that out for for North America.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 you can you can get into a. a, we, We have the potential right now because of where what MLR is and what our collegiate could be and things like that, where we don't have to really compete too much against each other, meaning the, the, the it could be very, very complimentary from a domestic strategy, but we have to be very bold in going out and getting the games and and saying what we need to do at the international level. And that's kind of breaking a little bit of the mold that is, has existed for a long time in the top nine or 10 teams in the world. So that's that's the next step is to kind of penetrate that dialogue. Yeah.
2: It's a great point, uh, Dan. And I wonder if we haven't squandered the COVID opportunity, right? Sometimes, you know, a lot of people look at COVID as as this entirely negative thing, and, and, and it has been uh, considerably negative. But it's also allowed, on uh, many occasions, a reset opportunity for a lot of organizations to really begin to look at what they're doing without the pressure of having to build as they go. You know, where you can really sit down and look at your calendars and put things in place and work with some organizations and make some phone calls and do some strategizing. And, and perhaps we've squandered that opportunity a little bit um, based upon a little bit of what you said there.
1: Yeah, I, I think the reality is that um, that uh, most people, most unions, starting with our own union, have. Constricted significantly, you know, and, and bandwidth and capacity and keeping the lights on have really uh, made it a really really hard dialogue, right? And and the day to day, you know, is, is become very, you know, it's a grind, right? You know, uh, emotionally and mentally. Um, I think that um, I think what world rugby has is 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 probably within the. This new 21 calendar now till June, I think they have a window. I think that the window hasn't closed, Rob, to your point. I think they have a window right now. I think that I think that, and I and I'm hearing some, you know, you know, there's some smoke signals, I guess is the best way to say it. there's there's some smoke signals out there that that there may be an opportunity to start this. And some of it, I think more of it's born out of the necessity. Uh, and some of it's being exacerbated as you're pointing out by COVID. Um, so I don't want to give up hope on that. I think there's some opportunities, and I'm not trying to be vague here. It's about who does the U.S. play in the long term? You know, what systems does it get into? How do you create you know commercial competitions, not just competitive competitions, right? How do you you know, and and how do you complement you know a player pathway structure, you know, to with that, you know, and how do you integrate? you know, broadcast and, and media and all that into it and really create a, a commercialized calendar that for the long term. Because, like, England knows it's going to play in the Six Nations, it's going to play in the November Internationals, and it knows it's going to have summer matches. It knows that it has, you know, Twickenham to fill up. And it, you know, it knows its revenue for the next 100 years, give or take, right? I mean, you know, Italy <laughs> knows it, you know, and and, you know, in three or four years, if, if MLR goes along well and we have the good crossover dialogue, even on our own dialogue, we're going to be beating those teams. But they're getting $30 million a year from Six yeah. Nations, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a – got to kind of break that. And, and this is not a finger-pointing exercise, right? This is about you got to break kind of the old structure. But we've got to bring to the table a dividend market, right? And I know I, I, I've been part of negotiating Six Nations, Premiership. Pro 14, Rugby World Cup, HSBC 7s, all of those television contracts that are now coming into the States. There's a lot of money getting going out. Right. But all of those things got to be consolidated into an approach that that allows the U.S. team and their finances to get better. You know, men's and women's. So um, there's a pathway. Um, That's what I'm working on. So.
2: So, yeah. And speaking of what you're working on. Uh, particularly with AEG, run faster, kick. What are the current projects you're working on? Any of those that you mentioned? Do you have some other things on the table you haven't talked about?
1: I think one of the ones that uh, you know the 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 sevens is is kind of a a gateway, you know, into a content strategy, and whether that's about helping USA Rugby or full born partners, we're we're talking about that right now, right? About you know, and how do you How do you build, you know, um, uh, and de-risk for them the ability to kind of jump ahead of, you know, they've always lost money on events, right, by and large, outside of one or two here and there. So it's about how do you stop, how do you stick fingers in that plug, how do you start making money, right, and how do you build events and build, you know, expectations and that. That's a a big play here. We have a... um, we have a ticketing play, a facilities play globally. Here, we're working with, you know, several of the M L R clubs on, 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 on a couple of different things. Um, we have our pub pass, which is the you know the way in bars that you get, to, you know, Premier League, but also all the rugby, you know, that NBC has. And you know, we were really doing well, you know, um, you know halfway through last year, and had to shut that down. We're really looking forward to relaunching that in a pretty aggressive way. You know, um, and it's really, um, you know, a half a dozen other, uh, you know, pretty cool things that that relate upon um, getting better. But we fundamentally believe we need a competent rugby, uh, USA Rugby, if not thriving, that can really position our teams for growth. That are that are that are, that are positioning everybody else for that recruit, retain and product dialogue. You know, from youth all the way to M.L.R. So we think it's not about ignoring the U.S. USA Rugby. There's too much infrastructure in American sport and international sport for that to not work. And so we we're 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 trying to say to everybody that um, you you can't do one without the other. You know, um, and M.L.R. certainly can operate as its own entity without USA Rugby from a day-to-day business structure. But once if if they don't have Constant dialogue and they start scheduling over the top of each other and they're, you know, and college doesn't agree with MLR strategies and all that kind of stuff. Everyone, You know, that turns into a a cluster and and that's that's not going to do any good. There's too many lessons learned from other other sports and other rugby to not um, learn that stuff and jump over those years and get to a, a better place quicker.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you see that in the Prem and you see that in, in the Pro 14 and everybody releasing their guys to, to compliment, knowing that they're going to get it back in return when those guys return and, and you know maybe get a young player who makes a name for himself on the English squad and then he comes back to Northampton Saints and, and now you got some buzz on him. And the Northampton Saints are like, well, it's good we released this guy to, to do his international duty too. Um, so speaking of the Prem, this is a quick one. Run pass or kick. If you were given your choice between commentating the Prem or commentating MLR, what would you prefer?
1: Well, the the cool thing is that I uh, I only uh, analyze the Prem and I've commentated on the MLR. You know, so uh, I, I guess I can have both of them.
0: You know, in a lot of ways. You know? <laughs> That's um, perfect. He wrote that line, baby. Yeah, yeah. He wrote that line.
1: I'm I'm a bit of a uh, I'm a bit of a hobbyist when it comes to the, the being an analyzer uh, of things and, and, uh, an MLR, you know, it, it's, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you on your toes. it You know, there's some cool things to it, but, you know, my business head, you know, is where I'm mo- mainly focused and, you know, if I can slot in from time to time and do that stuff, it's, it's really good. But, you know, those days, uh, you know, as we accelerate into more content and more things probably are less and, maybe just come in for the finals and things like that and do some, do some of that stuff. But uh, I really enjoy the camaraderie. It kind of this you know, taking some of the, 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 the buzz or uh, brought back some of the buzz that you used to have when you were in the locker room. Yeah, so
2: All right. So, so speaking of the finals, I'm going to put you on the spot. Many MLR teams have released the rosters, So they're pretty well set for 2021. Tell me, tell us, tell the fans run passer or kick what are the three teams to watch in the MLR in 2021?
1: Well, um, it seems like every day the uh, LA starts to, you know, is, is is building a roster, you know, but as we talked about earlier, you know, you, you got to bring people together, you got to train, you know, they, they don't, they don't, they have a lot of infrastructure stuff that they got to figure out. And that's that that there's a lot of distractions there. So, but, they're building a team you know you know that you know that everybody knows about so um you know i it's hard it's hard to bet against san diego you know you know you know it's kind of like the you know the why you don't bet against alabama right you know it's like you know the. you know the there's a factory it's warm weather they they got kind of their stuff going and you know all that kind of stuff so and and God forbid I'm not a Southern California guy, you know, so I don't I'm not trying to, you know, do that. But there there there's a couple of teams. And um, you know, um I th- I think there's probably a half a dozen, you know, the the you know, I I love the way that that, you know, Houston is combining things and they've got a couple of players. I love the way that you know, Utah is building a team ethos and a community ethos. I love that, you know, the you know that that uh that uh, D C and New England are you know are, are really sound. You know as far as their clubs and they're trying to build. Atlanta played some great out of the gates last year and won some games at home. You know so the cool thing is that there's a lot of parity. You know yeah and that's that's what you want in the league, right? And you're not going to just say yep, yeah, that's the one. So is that enough of straddling
0: the fence? Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. that's, yeah. that's <laughs> the analyst side. That's not the that's not the commentator side. You know? So it, it's it's funny because all this analyst talk. Our, our buddy Marquis Goodwin uh, asks rugby analyst internships. How do we get more involved on that front? How does one get more involved on that front?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great question. I think that um, what I would do is I would approach um, the your local college and your local uh, uh, and this is how many of the pros and the top sports in, in the United States do this. They go to the, they start in college. You know, and now with Facebook and single camera capabilities and things like that, you can, you know, and, and do it at the MLR level because they have all their all their social accounts and whether you're commentating with your face, you know, live or you're just doing a the play by play and you're you're doing it narrating what's happening, having your sheets in front of you about who's what and being able to pull those four or five things as the you know the refs got to go to the TMO or things like that. you you, you got to build that arsenal of what you need and how you're going to do it. So start at a level of, you know, university you were involved with or locally or your MLR club and say, hey, can I just come out and help out and uh, and be part of your social media team on the weekend or interview team or things like that? You've got to learn the structure and the systems. Um, you know, you're not going to walk into um, yeah. ESPN and NBC, you know, you know, without you no know, without a lot of uh, you know, stuff. Knowledge,
0: yeah. And and we yeah. hope to see Marquise on, on the pitch for MLR. He he's one of the referees uh for the MLR. Um so back to our regularly scheduled questions. Um your co-host on NBC Sports is none other than our buddy Alex Corbacero. I got a chance to hang out with him a little bit at a couple of rooney matches. He's a great dude. Um run pass or kick, how much value will he add to the Guiltini Scrump?
1: Yeah. Significant, you know, um, you know, he and I have spent countless hours talking about it, you know, and um, you know, he's got a a real set structure that's got some flexibility to it, you know um, like all things that, that he uh, he believes is you really kind of stabilizes puts puts uh, puts your team into a situation where they don't have as many moving parts. Um, You know, and I think like the, um, LA is going to come together very quickly with players that haven't played before. So having a system and an experience, I think that his role there will emerge, not just at scrums, but just kind of be a Jack of all trades type of a guy. You know what I mean? Cause they're, you know, you know, he's an American, you know, he went through our systems. He kind of knows he's been out there in Southern California for a while, knows a lot of people kind of, you know, obviously knows a lot about rugby and he's just, you know, one of those guys that just uh, you know glows with information. You know, and uh, so I think I think their scrum will be great. You know, at least at least to lock it down with with guys that have never played together before. Mm-hmm. And then I I think he'll do a lot of really positive things for that club, just as they're trying to get their feet under their feet. And whether it's other forward activities or just kind of bringing the guys together and just doing all those things that you know that you need to do.
2: It's you know it's funny, Dan. You mentioned getting the systems and gelling as a team, and they have a lot of good individuals. Uh, but you know, how will they put it all together? Yeah, I, I really think as I look at LA, their roots are founded in Randwick, you know, rugby club from Australia. And I, yep. I think that I think people will be shocked at how quickly that team comes together, just simply because they have a core. Uh, especially some of their older players or experienced players come from that Randwick club. They'll be able to really help encourage some of those younger guys and American guys to bring them along in that system a little bit more quickly than people will expect. Yeah. I think, I think Rob, it's a great point. You know, the, the,
1: you know, they're a very, you know, uh, progressive open flowing club. So you, you know, you've, you, you know, good rugby, you know, ball flowing and things like that, but it all starts. So you got to win the, you got to win the breakdown. You got to win your your basics in order to, to kind of earn those rights to do all that kind of stuff. And certainly that's a, you know, that's going to be the mesh there of what, what they have to do. I think that also though, is, Sometimes, um, you know, people, coaches and players that come from abroad, you know, getting immersed into the American dialogue is, is a little bit harder than they think. And, and it's actually hard for a, a Southern Hemisphere player to come to the Northern Hemisphere. You know, you don't see, you know, most All Blacks or all well, those guys that come up, come up to the premiership or the friends. They don't just like hit the ground or, like, woo. You know, right. they're, you know, they're the bee's knees. Right. You know, a lot of them take time and they've got to figure out the new ways of doing things and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're right. I think they'll have some systems that, that some of those guys will be really, you kind know, of uh, you know, locked into, you know, which will make it a little easier, but yeah, it's a, that's a gelling, uh, that I know that, uh, you know, whether they could do it now or do it later, you know, we'll see. You know.
2: Yeah. So we're going to start to wind it down. We just have a couple more questions for you, Dan. And again, we really appreciate you joining us uh, this evening. Um, so, uh, there's been a lot of discussion regarding the north american rugby world cup in either 2027 or 2031 i know that uh, there's been an exp- exploration at, at looking at um, at doing this run pass or kick if you were going to organize this bid uh geographically how would you organize the tournament
1: well um some of the stuff is quasi predetermined right um it depends on a couple of factors, right? Uh, if you can get a July-August or an August-September World Cup versus a September-October World Cup, you you have a little bit more flexibility, you know, in stadiums. Um, yeah. What you're doing is you're, is you're positioning to the world that um, this is going to be the biggest, baddest World Cup ever, like the 94 World Cup was, by way of gate and revenue and all the accessibility because whether you like it or not you can uber take a taxi get a bar you can do everything in America right where in a lot of places you can't and you've got fifty thousand plus cedar stadiums in every venue not three or four not six or seven but every venue you got the Rose Bowl at ninety thousand for you know which you know would you know this is a this is a bigger batter you've got to use the American you know thing so far. But some of the some of the regional structures is based upon size of fields, size of pitches, the flexibility of, of the ownership groups, things like that. So, you know, all of that stuff is being considered like right now. Um, and you know, the 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 bid process will start in May, but between now and May, you know, you've got to you've got to kind of have some dialogue. So look, I think everything will be you, we'll know everything by May, you know, whether we'll enter that bid cycle and probably all that stuff will come out. Um, as you can tell, I probably know more than I'm actually saying. But
2: <laughs> I was just going to uh, say, it sounds like you know more than you're leading on my friend.
1: But you you got, you got just, just from a, just from a common sense perspective, all of everybody that, that knows our sport and, and you guys that know football and things like that, you can pretty much say to yourself, well, you know, where, where would you go? You've got kind of a few East Coast venues. You've got a few West Coast venues and you've got a couple in the Midwest and so forth. You create a, a, a bit of a, a big process with those groups, of, um, a little bit of a centralized structure, and then you you pick from a half a dozen. But it's not as complex as a Soccer World Cup because they just come in and take over everything because it's billions and billions of dollars, Right. You know, here you're working with municipalities and working with stadiums, and you're not taking over everything, right? You're, you're kind of, uh, you know, creating a system. So um, it'll be it'll be spread out enough, you know, what I mean, to where you're there. The coolest thing about this, and it's a '94 um, uh, dialogue, but it, it's true. And this is the the you we'll hear it now, and you guys can take it. That every match will be a home match, right? Because there's so much diversity in America, there's so much capacity to, you know, there's more South Africans and more Fijians and more, you know, you know, it's just a, you know, you you just kind of, you just see these 60,000 seater stadiums. Plus, everybody will want to come to America. Everyone can get to America. Everyone, you know, can stay in America. You can find hotel rooms. You can do all the things that are hard to do. You know, I mean, cruise ships in New Zealand you know <laughs> so that's how
2: you, exactly. you know it's funny you say that because i went to the the ireland um all blacks match here in chicago and i mean 70,000 people and it felt like you were in a in in little dublin you know <laughs> because it was just there were so many irish fans here it was it was indeed a home match for ireland it was it was a special atmosphere that i think we can reproduce on many different levels uh when we host a world cup i hope to see it happen soon yeah.
1: Now imagine. Now imagine forty-four of those matches, right? Yeah. You know, you know.
0: So. I mean, I, I've seen it. Uh, Saracens played London Irish on. I think it was St. Patty's Day, 2016. I was there in New Jersey, and people flew from both Saracens and London Irish fans flew into New York just for the weekend to go to that match to to spend St. Patty's in New York, and that's you know not national. Test teams, you know, whose fans are even more crazy. So I think you know we definitely have that um, going for us as far as people wanting to come here to experience those matches either in twenty twenty seven or twenty thirty one. So and, and we as Americans, we we love to see the best, right? You know, yeah. that, that, that's the that's
1: the goal of the MLR, right? Is to keep accelerating. So what what we're MLS is this wonderful. We we were involved in it in a significant way. Owned a lot of the teams. You know, started the league. The Anschutz Cup is what you awarded. Blah blah blah. Right. The the value of those franchises is is through the roof. Right. But the media value of four or five of the other international leagues was higher than the media value in the U S. Right. You've got to you've got to have your your national team and MLR. Th- this one being competitive ties into this one being valuable right at the same time that's where i mean there's there's such an intertwine of what we can learn those lessons and not get left behind and mls left the collegiate and high school system behind and we gotta we gotta just keep a hold of that you know and we can we can we can be one of the best leagues in the world and best countries in the world and it it doesn't have to be oh in my lifetime i hope right it it can actually happen right so um, that's what we're hopeful for so
0: so you, you actually just said one of the key words in my next question. This question actually comes from our buddy, Tony Riddell. Uh, Riddell. He, he shouted you out before uh, when we first started the interview. So he asks, and I quote, when will Dan Lyle become USAR's representative to the Rugby World Council?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, a, uh,
0: that's an interesting
1: <laughs> question. Uh, uh, look, I think um, – Uh, I have a, I have a good relationship with a couple of people at at World Rugby Uh, and um, you know um, you're going to say, no, I can't believe it, but I just turned 50 and no,
2: I can't believe it.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Uh, The, uh, so a lot of my peers are, are kind of in these positions now. And a lot of the guys that I, you know, and, and it's not just about old boy system and a, you know, and former players, but people that, you know, that, you know, were kind of in the, in the grown up within the sport. And so um, I, I think, I think I have um, a, a enough gumption and enough capacity to help USA Rugby. Um, look, this is a formidable um, principal, largest sports entertainment company in the planet that I work for. And, and I rug, run the rugby division it, there. It doesn't get any higher than this, You know, from a, for me, you know, from a, from an executive perspective, you know, unless you, in rugby, unless you go abroad, right? And, and that's not a volunteer position that's kind of a USA rugby and everybody working together. What, what I, what I think the position that I'm in now, if, if bringing AG's assets to the table, right, to help, not to take over, not to change, but to help American rugby grow at all levels, you know, systematically with a plan you know, that, uh, that's where I think the best use of my time is. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, so, you know, so Tony's right now, Tony, Tony, yeah. Tony's, maybe Tony can do it. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right now, Tony, unfortunately he's not ready for it. Um, and Tony does think you are one of the top, well, he, the tippy top rugby executives in this country. Um, obviously what, what you're doing for the game in this country is unbelievable. Um, again, just to date you because you were, I can't believe you're 50. I was, let's see, I was uh, in my junior year of high school during that 2003 World Cup trying to watch it on, say, Tanta Sports for $70 a match using my parents' credit card, which they didn't know about. <laughs> so, yeah. And now, <laughs> and now, and now can you, I mean, if you can, you know, for
1: the, the $4.99 for Peacock yeah. Premium, is, you know, yeah. it's just plus the, some of the year, plus, plus. I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah. I had to go to bar. I had to take my kids to bars. You know, to <laughs> watch games, right? we all did. Right? We all, you know, so just sneak
0: out. So that was that it's was my father's. So way. That was that was my father's introduction to rugby. Is I took him for the England South Africa final. It had to be 2007. Yeah. And uh, we're in Manhattan. We're downtown. I found a bar. I was like, it's an English bar. Can't wear green. Don't wear green or yellow. Got to wear white, red, or blue. It's like white, red, or blue. Don't green. We go in there, and he's like looking around. He's like. Yo, there's a lot of kids here, and I'm like, "Well, this is where their parents are watching it. So, what are you going to do?"
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, that was his introduction to rugby. Dan, thank you so much. This was great. I'm I'm so excited we got to do this again. I'm geeking and fanboying out a little bit just to have to spend this time with you. And you gave us so much insight and so much knowledge. And you do this with us. You do this on NBC. You do this with AEG. I mean, pretty much if you ask Dan for an interview, he'll give it because he's passionate about rugby and loves to tell people about it. Um, Dan, I want to thank you again so much for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Maybe we'll talk some more MLR uh, when the season starts. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll have you, know, you on one of our rant uh, episodes and you can rant about one of the topics that the rugby rant fan chooses. But uh, again, Thanks, Dan. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, we do our rant segments on Sunday, so check out uh, our next episode coming on Sunday on our Facebook page. I'm the big guy, Scott Ferrara. That's Rob the Hammer, Hammer Schmidt. And for our buddy, Ty Braga, who's going to be here, uh, we're going to say good night and see you guys on Sunday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.